so when I was growing up, uh, I, my parents and I uh, and my sister, we lived with my grandmother as well. It's a very Korean cultural thing where grandparents live uh, with the families. Uh, and, and so therefore, like my grandmother was essentially like a second mother to me, always around, uh, always, you know, teaching me and essentially babysitting me and my sister uh, before she passed away just a few years ago. But when I think back in my grandmother's life, uh, I can only remember her as someone who was just absolutely loving towards our family, myself. Uh, absolutely caring and compassionate, uh, and uh, first and foremost, someone who loved Jesus. In fact, I didn't quite understand it, but I remember uh, in my room always being annoyed in the morning because there's kind of like this Korean thing where you pray, but when you pray, you just pray super loud, no matter what time it is. And I remember she would wake up like clockwork every morning at 5 a.m. to pray and to pray out loud. It's almost like she really wanted God to hear from the heavens. And she would pray so loud and just wake me up and I would say, What are you doing? Why are you praying so loud? God can still hear you and understand you. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, it, was a, it was indicative to, to my grandmother's faith. Uh, but there was quite the dichotomy uh, because this. A, I, I remember her and knew her and, and really know her as someone who loved and faithfully worshipped God. At the same time, there was this disconnect where she had this animosity uh, and, and really even bitterness towards a particular people group, uh, People from Japan. And I never knew why. She never talked about why she had this animosity or bitterness towards the Japanese as a Korean person. All I thought was a, as a child was, dang, my sweet little grandma's kind of racist. Like, what, what's her deal? And then I started to learn on my own through school and even through my parents about a time in history uh, of Korea, where there was this harsh colonization of Korea by the Japanese. And this is where I started putting things uh, together. It was, and if you understand the history and know what happened, it was, it was quite atrocious. And so uh, all I knew as a child was my grandma loves Jesus, and yet she has this bitterness towards a people group that I didn't quite understand. And what I understood about faith was that it was actually wrong to not like people based on the color of their skin uh, or just their ethnic backgrounds. Obviously, that was, that was not of Jesus. That was not loving. That was not kind. Uh, but then again, I remember several years later when I was, uh, maybe I was a teenager at the, at the time, uh, a new Japanese family moved into the neighborhood. And again, in that family, there was an elderly, there was a grandmother who, who didn't speak a lick of English. And you can imagine, even my own family can imagine and can empathize that when you don't speak English very well, and when you can't communicate, especially here in the West, you feel very isolated and you feel very lonely. And it took several months, in fact, a couple years, uh, but this unlikeliest, miraculous friendship started developing between my grandmother uh, and the grandmother down the street. Maybe they had this solidarity and this loneliness or this isolation. 
And, and, and ironically, they were able to speak to one another because my grandmother was uh, bilingual in, in Korean, not, not so much English, but in Korean and in Japanese. And that was, again, due to the colonization as, as who she was growing up in her family system, in her life in Korea. Uh, as an adolescent, she was forced to, to learn Japanese. And yet, who would have known, who would have ever thought that that would come to, to serve her uh, in this greater story where she developed a friendship with someone who she had in the past uh, would have such animosity or bitterness towards. Again, I look at that friendship, and, and I see the divine mystery that was stirred up uh, and, and see that, that that was only and could only be a God thing. And I look at that story in the context of Isaiah chapter 11, and, and, and Isaiah uh, is speaking on behalf of God, saying uh, that the kingdom of God, the, the, the kingdom that I bring will look very different Remember, as we're talking about the exile, uh, this was during the time where there was the, uh, the northern kingdom was in exile into Assyria. So remember, we talked about Israel really broken up into two kingdoms. There was a northern kingdom, which was called Israel, and the southern kingdom called Judah. And both, at though different points of history, were taken into captivity. And, and in this moment of time, in Isaiah chapter 11, the Assyrians came and, and they just for lack of a better word, colonized or, 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 well, really completely destroyed Israel. And, and not only destroyed Israel, but destroyed all the holy places. So they had no place to worship. And they took the healthy and the, and the able Israelites into uh, Assyria to build for them as slaves a kingdom, an economy, a culture, a society. Again, during this time of exile, there was slavery. There was total destruction by a nation by, unto another nation. And later, what we'll see is the same thing happened to Judah, the southern kingdom, by the Babylonians. And it's in this context, in this backdrop, where God speaks through Isaiah and says, Yes, there's division right now. There's hatred. There's destruction. Uh, and, and, and all these things that are happening from Assyria into Israel, but my future for my people does not end this way. In Isaiah chapter 11, God brings hope into the hopeless places, uh, not just as a nation, but relationally with one another within the neighbors. And I love uh, how Isaiah chapter 11 starts, and it starts uh, like this. And we heard it, it says, a shoot shall come out of the stump of Jesse. So a shoot uh, is translated like a rod or a stick, but, but really the Hebrew word is rod. A rod, which is actually a metaphor for hope, for hope. So, uh, so a rod or hope shall come out of the stump of Jesse. And a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Isaiah here is describing the coming Messiah, the Savior to all this destruction, the person who will make all these wrongs right again. 
A, a, a Messiah where uh, we acknowledge the division, obviously, that will bring into goodness and beauty once again. See, the stump of Jesse, the stump represents a brokenness. Cut off. Like you can probably drive around. Maybe you can go into the forest. I remember, or just yesterday, we were going on a hike and we would see trees cut down and just stumps from, from places where uh, the trees were cut down. The stump, uh, which is on, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, re, uh, represented death. And again, something being cut off. And in Isaiah, he, he likens uh, the stump as Israel. Israel, you have been cut off. Israel, you are like a stump. You are, you have complete, quote unquote, dead by the Assyrians. And, and what Isaiah is saying, his prophecy is, but wait a minute. Out of that stump, out of that death, out of being cut off in ugliness, something beautiful will happen. Something will grow out of death. Out of that stump. A branch shall grow out of its roots. And from this branch, it is a branch that uh, the Spirit of the Lord shall rest on. And what we have to understand about the stump of Jesse is that he's talking about a lineage or a genealogy. And for those of you that are fairly new to the Bible or may not understand the Old Testament history, uh, but the son of Jesse was none other than the king, King David, king of Israel. And what we have to see is that it's through the stump of Jesse, meaning uh, Jesse's lineage, which is David, which when we kind of fast forward a bit, the kingdom of David, the lineage and the genealogy of David includes Jesus. Jesus comes out of ultimately the stump of Jesse. There's a lineage of David. And what's interesting is that Jesse uh, was not a king like his son. Jesse was just, as, a, a, as an adolescent, a shepherd boy, what, like, like David himself, but never like a king. So out of this place of, uh, of humility, out of this place of really uh, poorness, comes the Messiah, through Jesse, through, da- through David, through the person of Jesus. And, and what he's saying is he's prophesying the Messiah, and he's saying things will be different right now through, the, through King David, who, who rescues uh, Israel out of captivity. And even in the future, eschatologically is kind of the, the theological word, is that uh, even after that, though things will still be broken, not only with, with, uh, with Israel, but Judah, but even through the future, uh, things will be broken. It won't be perfect, and yet a Messiah will come. And ultimately, we understand that's the person of Jesus. And what will that Messiah do? His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes sees or decide by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. See, what we have to understand is that as the Messiah comes, 
two parts here, thinking, thinking about King David, thinking about Jesus, the foretelling of the Messiah. He says that though in this broken and divided world, that when the Messiah comes, the kingdom will look different. And a big indication of the difference is this. It's all about fairness and equity. And this was a very powerful statement and very counterintuitive of the time. Because during this time in the ancient Near East, it was all about power. It was all about might. It was all about superiority and taking over. And what Isaiah is saying, the kingdom of God looks very different in a world where it's all about taking over and might and power uh, and superiority versus inferiority. The kingdom of God is all about fairness and equity. There's no, you know, mistranslation. There's no digging deeper. Uh, The poor really means the poor. Though the world in itself, in the ancient Near East, judges the poor in unfairness, and and judges, especially even last week we talked about the the quartet of vulnerables, uh, how the world deems the weak, the poor, the marginalized, the people without fathers, the orphans, the widows, though the world may deem them as lesser of humans, push them out and outcast them from society, what Isaiah is saying, this new kingdom is going to look different. This new kingdom is going to have the power and the ability to, to, to proclaim and to present a miraculous reconciliation and a restoration of all people. And I love in uh, verse 6 through nine, through 9, here's what it would look like. Here's what this, this miraculous reconciliation and restoration will look like. And he gives this metaphor of the, of the animal kingdom. Listen carefully. It says, the wolf shall live with the lamb. The leopard shall, shall le- lie down with the kid. The calf and the lion and the fatling together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like an ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, which is uh, like a venomous snake, uh, likened to uh, what we see in the creation narrative. So in verse 8, the nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp. And, and the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the water covers the sea. See, verse 6 through 9 describes what the Messiah will do, and this is very profound. We see a list of dichotomies. I mean, to them, this is, this is outrageous. A wolf shall live with the lamb. That's not what happens. The wolf kills the lamb. The leper shall lie down with the kid. How is that possible? The leopard will actually kill the kid. The calf and the lion play together. Wait a minute. That, how can that happen? And what Isaiah is doing is uh, through the Messiah, a new kingdom is about to come where it's very supernatural and these things will actually happen. In a perfect world, in the perfect creation, this also goes back to Genesis chapter 1 where the animals, even the animal kingdom, they were living harmoniously with one another until sin entered the world. 
And what Isaiah is saying, when the Messiah comes, we're going back to God's original intention for creation. Right now, there's so much division. Right now, there's kingdoms going uh, with power, uh, overthrowing a different kingdom, where there's uh, killing, where there is exile, where there is destruction of one nation to another nation. Yet, there will be a time. Well, actually, they will be together. Where, where actually there will be a miraculous sense of restoration of all of humanity. That once there was destruction, once there was uh, this uh, control issue, once there was superiority versus inferiority, no longer in this kingdom. It's a beautiful image of the kingdom and how it's supposed to be and how it should actually Look, enemies coming to the table, being as one. And it's this prophecy, it's almost like this, this dream that many of us have maybe read or heard or listened to uh, before. And this is from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And, and when I was reading these verses, it really reminded me of his words. And many of us have heard this. It says, I say to you today, my friends... So even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation uh, uh, will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. So men, that personal pronoun, because this was written a long ago. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia... Sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. Isn't that, that's a beautiful image. And he says, I have a dream that one day even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into the oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. And what Isaiah is doing is very similar to Dr. King, what he did uh, in this speech. He's saying, uh, I'm, going, I'm telling you that there will be one day where all your enemies will come together. Where people that look differently than you, that might speak different languages than you, will come to the table to become one. One humanity. Where there will be nothing but fairness. Where there will be nothing but equity. Isn't that a beautiful kingdom that we can envision together? I hope that we can. This is a kingdom about miraculous reconciliation. And what we see in this speech, what we see in Isaiah chapter 11 is this, there's this comparison of the dichotomies. Again, how is a lion over here supposed to be at the same place as a lamb who's over here? And there's this huge dichotomy between the two. They kill each other. They hate each other. They prey on one another, really one side to the other. And yet there's this beautiful vision of these two coming together. The kingdom of God has a supernatural way of breaking down these dichotomies. 
And I think that speaks to us even this morning. In our culture today. And I truly believe it's, it's the lack of this is the reason why there's so much division and polarization today in our culture, among our friends, among our churches, among Christians, among family members. <clears throat> we have this extreme polarization. Either you're on my side or you're the enemy. Either you agree with what I believe or what I have to say or you're wrong. Either you think the same as me, or we can't be friends. There's this dichotomy, which I am saying that Isaiah is saying that God brings those dichotomies in a supernatural way together. And it goes even deeper than this. Especially when we talk about uh, what's been presented in Isaiah chapter 11, when different worlds, when different cultures, when different people groups come together. See, some of us, we need to enter into the conversation about injustice, about inequities. See, some of us, we have to enter into this conversation about why there's, there's barriers between people that might look different than us, that might have voted different than us, that might have a different financial or, or social status than us. We've created this dichotomy because you look like this, because you believe in this, because you make this much money, because you're this gender, because of the sexuality or whatever it is, that you know what? I cannot be around you. I am over here. And the beauty of this speech, the beauty of what God has to say through Isaiah, he's saying that one day that division, that dichotomy will no longer be. In this world for us, we have a very binary thinking system. It's either this or that. Either you're with me or you're not. And what God is saying is that I transcend that. And this dichotomy gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And it doesn't mean that we'll always be the same. It doesn't mean that we'll always agree. But what would it look like for all of humanity, especially the church? Can I call us out for a second? We do a terrible job of coming to the table and saying, I love you no matter what. And I want to know you because you are someone who God created. Uh, but we need to back up a little bit. For a lot of us, and really including myself, we need to confront some of the hard issues in order for that barrier to decrease. I mean, have you ever asked someone, why, why did you vote this way? Or, or why did other people vote other ways? I mean, have we ever asked ourselves that? Or asked ourselves, why do some people kneel during the anthem? And why are some people so offended by that? Why are some people with homes and some people without? And some of us, we have our own assumptions. Why are some people so disenchanted with our criminal justice system and our issue and our problem with mass incarceration of young black men? Why do we uh, want men to listen more? Why are we urging society to believe what women have to say when they speak their truth? Have you ever asked yourself this? 
Or have you decided on a camp that you're going to live on and say, if you are someone who gets offended by someone kneeling with the national anthem or someone who does kneel, if you're the opposite of what I believe, then we can't be friends. If you have a different language, if you have a different social status, if you have a different job title, I can't sit next to you. This, this is a hard conversation. And, and I know some of you guys might be new and you guys may not come back, but, but here's the deal. This is a kingdom issue. And that's the only thing I can speak of. And, and, and my hope is that for us as a church, we will ask ourselves, have we been asking these questions? Especially, and maybe not these particular questions, but have we been asking questions and have we sought to learn more about who we deem as the other? Or have we fallen into this American trap of this binary thinking of of creating false dichotomies in our own lives and the people around us? See, some of us, we are really afraid to come to the table. Because what we believe about God is that the table is big. And there's space for everybody to learn about each other, to grow, to learn more about God. And his life, his death, his birth, his resurrection... But many of us, we're too afraid to come to the table because that takes work. It's easy for us to create these dichotomies and say, I'm going to sit over here and you're going to sit over there. That's easy. But it takes work and takes courage to come to the table. And for some of us, we're seated at the table. We have the privilege to be at the table. And yet we're afraid to invite others to join us. We're not afraid to come to the table because we're already at the table, but we're afraid to invite others uh, to join us at that table. And so we look back in the story of, of Isaiah and his prophecy and what God is speaking and saying, guess what? The kingdom right now as we have it, it's It's broken. The way that the world right now is broken, there's destruction, there's slavery, there's objectification of a people group to another people group, and yet, there will be a time, there will be a time when we can come to the the table and listen to one another to learn from one another, and to love one another. And so the question for us this morning, it could be individually, it could be collectively, but who do you need to reconcile with? Where is there brokenness in your own relationships? Is it with a family member? Is it with a friend? Is it with a neighbor? Who do we as a community need to reconcile with? And I would say, argue as a church. As a church, who do we need to reconcile with? Who do we need to forgive and see as human? 
Because what we have to understand is that coming during this Advent season, the, the belief and the hope that we have in the coming of the Messiah, we also have to have the hope that the Messiah comes with reconciliation. But I would say that first and foremost, that he begins with choosing to love the person and seeing their humanity first. And last week we talked about the Ruach, the spirit, that if you are alive, you are filled with God's breath. And what Isaiah reminds us of is that if you want to be the glimpse of the coming kingdom, if you want to be part of heaven here on earth, here's what it looks like. First, are you choosing to be reconciled with others? Are you choosing to shorten the distance between who you would deem as the other? And it begins with choosing to love the person. You know, in the New Testament, the greatest commandment is this. It's simple. God says, love me and love others. And so the question is, when you encounter others, especially those that are different from you, maybe even those that have presented uh, hurtful things to you, do you see the image of God in them first? Or do you see a title? Or do you see a political affiliation? Or do you see a difference of theological conviction? Or do you see someone that looks different than you first? Or do you see someone that makes different, uh, different pay scale than you? Someone that has a different job than you? A lower, quote-unquote, title than you? Who do you see first? And for many of us, if we want to live out the kingdom that God has us in and desires for us, uh, in the words of Isaiah, uh, to shorten the gap of this dichotomy, first and foremost, we have to love and we have to see the other person as a person created in the image of God, filled with the Ruah, filled with the Spirit of God, first and foremost. Otherwise, we objectify and if, as long as we objectify, we will, we will not have the ability to love and to listen and to grow and to learn and to even have a conversation with sitting at the same table. We, it just cannot happen. And seeing the person in their humanity first, a person that has created the image of God, that changes everything relationally. That changes your lens, even to the person you disagree with the most. And, my, and the message here isn't saying, hey, kumbaya, like everyone agree with everyone, everything is correct, everything is right, all roads lead to the same thing. That is not what I'm saying. And if you think that's what I'm saying, that's the product of this binary that we fall into. Is that the kingdom of God can hold things that are so, that are so binary together. We've talked about this in the past weeks. Through the kingdom of God, you can hold grief and you can hold joy together. In the kingdom of God, you can hold your convictions and differences together. In the kingdom of God, though there are people that hurt you and have done wrong to you, you can still love them. That is the power and the supernatural ability that comes with who God is especially through the person of Jesus Christ. 
And in Romans it says, uh, again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse shall come. The one who rises to rule the Gentiles. Even Paul is talking about Jesus through the lineage of Jesse, through David, bringing this new kingdom and revelations. It says, it is I, Jesus, who sent my angel to you with the testimony for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. My hope and desire as we continue in anticipation of, of, of Advent, that we ask ourselves, what is the importance of the birth and the arrival of Jesus? And, and, and many of us will become very individualistic and say, well, because Jesus was born, uh, I'm able to have eternal life. And, and that is true. I never want us to ever become too heady or too brainy uh, to oversimplify the fact that because Jesus came to earth, we are now connected. We have the ability to be connected with God and to live in eternity with God in the new heavens and new earth. But I also want us to ask this question, the arrival of Christ through the birth of our Messiah. It's not just good news for me. It's not just good news for you as an individual. It is good news for the entire church. It's good news for the entire world. Because the birth of Jesus reminds us that the kingdom looks very different from the kingdom that we might live in today. In Isaiah, Isaiah reminds us that the kingdom of God, the Messiah who is coming, looks very different from what's happening in the world today. And so may we be a people that live a different life. That we don't fall into uh, the sins and the hatred and the divisions of this world today. Instead, we choose to love. And this isn't this, again, this kumbaya type of, let's just love one another. But really, that's what the scripture says. There's really two things you need to do. There's two things that sums up the entire Ten Commandments. Love God, that literally means agape. It means love. Love means love. Love God and love others. There's no agenda. There's no stipulation. There's no prerequisites. Love God and love others. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. And yet we fail to do that because it's scary. It's scary to ask questions and confront ourselves about injustices even in the world, about our own prejudices, about our own racism, about our own discriminatory thoughts that are maybe even subconscious, how we view people that have wronged us and hurt us. But what if we saw them through the lens of love and the lens of them being created in the image of God, no matter how difficult that might be. And practically that might look something like this. You know what? I don't like you. You've hurt me. You've done severe damage to me. And yet I have to see you as someone that God created in God's own image. 
some of us, that doesn't sit well. And for others, I don't know, the, 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 the script in your head might be something like, I don't know you. You come from a different culture, you come from a different world, you come from different ideologies about, uh, about what it means to be just in this world. But may I see you as a person who's hurt or who has been hurt through the systems, through the powers. And may I listen. May I may not understand completely, but may I just listen. Because I see you as a human and you deserve to be listened to. And this is what the kingdom looks like. I want to invite the band back up here for us to have a time of reflection. And this is, this is even a reflection even for myself. Because some of us, we have to be honest with the way we view others. The other. And we have to recognize that Jesus came to this earth to say no more. No more. Jesus brings the idea of reconciliation and justice. And my hope is that we will choose to be part of that mission. That even in our own little worlds, whether it's your workplace, your schools, your clubs, your friend circles, will you be a catalyst to God's love towards all of humanity? Knowing that in a supernatural way, that these dichotomies versus us and versus them becomes very shortened. Doesn't mean we have to agree with everything. Doesn't mean we have to change our ways to, to be the same as the other. It just means that we are willing to listen and come to the table, invite others to that same table. searching and how we relate to others, especially those that are so different from ourselves, knowing that you came to earth for us to love you and worship you by loving others, by decreasing that dichotomy. Thank you for that task. We thank you for the vision of this new heavens, new earth. We thank you for this vision, this new kingdom that looks so different from where we live even today. Give us the strength to do so. In your name we pray.